Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Breaking Chains from Surviving to Thriving. This is Doris, and I am with a special friend of mine this episode. Uh, her name is Kristen. She is a comedian, and we're going to get started. Um, so, Kristen, say hi. Hello. What's up? Hey. <laughs> it's good to see you. Good to spend time with you. You know, I started tearing up the other day talking about you. Um, so, my first question is going to be, do you feel like a victim of your life? Oh, man, uh, not anymore. Not anymore. I'm, I'm in recovery now. So I would say I used to, uh, very much so. Boy, I don't, know, I don't know how long of an answer you want. As long as you want. Okay. Um, I very much used to. Um, so I'll give you some background. I, uh, I'm gay, and my dad's a preacher. And uh, when I came out of the closet when I was younger, my church... Uh, got upset by that, the members of the church. And so they okay. they got together and they decided they asked me not to come back. And so that was really upsetting for me. Of and course. so like the church camp that I'd gone to my whole life, and um, I was a church camp counselor at that time because I was in high school. And um, so not getting to go back to the church, where, which was my whole identity, because my, my whole family was was involved in this church and all my friends were church people okay and now I was asked not to come back so I had an identity crisis around then right okay. and so um I think that's about when I started drinking so about that that's when I absolutely felt like a victim of my life okay was, was right right then like how on earth could this have happened to me my life is the worst um if there is a god okay god hates me I carried that around for a long time. Right. Um, since I've been in recovery, I don't feel that way anymore. Good. Um, I feel like it's just a part of my life and my journey. The things that I've lived through that I get to help other people through that may have similar stories to mine. Right. Um, and there's lots of things that I, I wouldn't have chosen back then. You know, like... like I was also molested when I was a kid. Um, and so it's like the, the, the things that were the hardest for me now I see as opportunities to keep as part of my story to help someone else who, if they feel like a victim of their life, right. I can say, oh my gosh, I felt that way too. Yeah. Here's what I did about it. Okay. So today, I absolutely don't. That's I, awesome. feel, I feel like... like um, I am just, I'm living life on life's terms. Life on life's terms. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, you hit on something that, um, one of the reasons I asked you to be a guest on the podcast was so people don't feel like they're alone because your story is different than mine and my story is different than somebody else's. And I think you're going to be able to touch someone that probably does feel like they're alone and has, they have no one to turn to, but I'm going to ask a few more questions and then I'll just let you go run rampant sure and you know what that's what that's what always kept me um kind of kept what kept me going is like hearing someone uh honestly talk about their experiences usually is what is what keeps me um i don't know coming back around to recovery you mm -hmm. know it's like uh because I've, I've heard you know a lot of people share their woes and oh you know well, life sucks and everything right. but in recovery you have people that are really honestly you know talking about how life was hard and like I don't know like even the the really terrible things they did but then what they did to get through it you right. know and um I've heard people share fears that I have that they actually lived through and they got through 
and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can, I like, that's my biggest fear. Like death of a spouse yeah. is my biggest one. Yeah. And I heard a lady once share in a meeting once that she woke up and her husband was dead next to her. And like, she just shared about what she did. That was a dream or that actually that happened? happened to her. Oh goodness. That was her, okay. it was her day, you know, okay. and she shared about what she did. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I don't know what I would do, but I think I'd call that lady. Right. You know, yeah. that'd be my yeah. step one. Call that lady, you know, and yeah. now it's like, like, uh, like no matter what happens in my life, I have a list of people that like, okay, if this has happened, I would call that lady. If this happened, I'd call that guy because I've heard a little bit of their stories and at least they would tell me what they did so I could right. formulate a plan and right. not just freak out and die, you know, yeah. you know piss my pants and, and have a bad day, you know, <laughs> that would be a bad day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, give us a glimpse into the morning, Kristen. What do you do before you even hit the floor? Okay, okay. Um, I like mornings. Um, I usually wake You're up. You're a night person. You're working all night, but you like mornings? Yeah, well, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not that night of a person. Okay. I'm not that night of a person. It's, uh, I, I do work in comedy clubs. Um, and uh, uh, used to, my nights would go super late. Now... My night ends as soon as the show ends, and I'm done okay. um, saying goodnight to people. I go right back to the hotel, I watch a little news, and I go to sleep. Okay. You know, I say my prayers and whatever, and I'm out like a light. Okay. So I don't, I don't need a lot of wind-down time. Um, on, a, on a non-show night, oh, I like to go to bed by 9.30 or 10. <laughs> so I like, I like early to bed, early to rise, because okay. I feel good. Um, so my typical day, like a regular day, I wake up around 7. Okay. Um... I usually wake up with some kind of like my if if I didn't have my my program, my brain would wake up in a state of what do I have to do today? How many things are there? But because I have practiced my program so long, typically I have my brain trained to think some sort of God thought. Okay. Which is just like good morning God or this is thank you for this day God. Something with God in it, even though I don't, I mean, we can talk about God a lot because I'm still confused by this concept. Okay. But I practice whatever. I'm willing to do the uh, praying. Kind of the contrary action thing. Exactly. Exactly. Because my brain, without any program, wants to wake up and completely control my entire day tomorrow, next week, a few months from now, and a couple years down the road and try to figure out why that's not working. Why in 10 years did things not work out for me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> while I'm still laying in bed. But if I have a thought of, this is a day for me to be grateful for this day, then I'm like, oh, now I kind of want to get up. And then I want to see what, I know I'm going to meditate and pray in a minute. So it's like, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, is the thought of, if I can keep my head in that space, that I can make it to, you know, what's my next indicated step? Right, okay. Um, so those things, that, that keeps me on a normal day, and I would say probably 90% of my days now start this way. I wake up, like I throw on my, my uh, secondary pair of pajamas. I start when I sleep in. Secondary pair yeah, of pajamas. Yeah. I sleep in something, then I put on something slightly warmer to, to make a cup of tea. And then I put on my regular day clothes later on in the day. Okay. But like these are just like to lounge. For so me. we know Kristen changes like three times a day. Oh my God, you have no idea. There's so <laughs> many outfits. <laughs> Nothing to do with program, but I like a lot of looks. And so... Um, and so I come downstairs and make a cup of tea, and then I, I have about 10 minutes worth of meditation and prayer every day. Um, okay. And it doesn't take that long. Sometimes it's eight minutes, but I meditate for about five minutes, 
And then I run through the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, and the eleventh step prayer. Okay. And then if I need to add two, I put in a little extra. Okay. Um, and that's it. And then typically I'm in a really, really whatever mood, which means, you know, whatever's about to come at me, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for. Okay. That's my morning. Oh, and then I go to a meeting on a regular day. How many meetings do you go to a week when you're able to, when you're not working? When I'm home, I hit five a week. Okay. And when I'm on the road, um, I hit, uh, I mean, I hit the ones when I'm in town. And then if I'm on a cruise ship, I try to hit one every day that I'm on a cruise ship. If I'm in a strange city, I hit at least one every city I go to. Okay. So I hit a lot of meetings. Cool. And that helps you stay sober. It helps me stay sober. It helps you stay out of your mind, out of yeah. your head. And that's a dangerous I, place yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and I get to, it makes me not feel alone. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that. I don't like feeling alone because my brain will tell me I'm the only one a lot. Right. And so it, it shows me that there are other people that feel exactly like I do everywhere I go. Not just in this city, but in every city, in the middle of the ocean. Right. Like no matter where I am, there is another alcoholic just like me. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and ask this one. I was going to pass it because it's kind of a double question. Bring but, um, it. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Hey, we're just talking amongst friends here. You already know my second, my second pajamas. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, what is your favorite thing? What was your favorite thing in your disease? Oh. How did you overcome this favorite thing in your disease to get sober? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Let me try to think. Oh, my favorite thing in my disease. Isolation was a big, big favorite thing for me. Isolative, sad drinking. Okay. Was, I mean, you want to think you, when you think of favorite things, you think of something happy and that was not, I liked right. isolative, sad drinking, Yeah. but I didn't have a lot of happy drinks. So I would say a nice, sad, drunk with sad music. By myself crying in your beer yeah or okay. a place where you can feel yeah. alone okay. um so i like that and maybe throwing oh god i loved throwing throwing like breaking things I okay liked, i okay. like to get when my sadness turned to anger which turned back to sadness there'd always be some kind of something broken somewhere nearby because i just couldn't take it anymore <laughs> and i would have to throw something so i loved to get drunk and sad and mad and throw something Okay. That's, I think I might have a, a drinking problem. <laughs> yeah, I broke two laptops Yay! in a drunken stupor. Yeah. That makes me really happy. Yeah. <laughs> and you're the first person I've actually physically told that to. Oh, that's good for you. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. I'm a thrower too, so to speak. I mean, I could show you around this house, like the things that, like there's a nick in that credenza. The TV has a stab wound in it from a knife, I think. Whatever. Um, and how did I get... How did I get past my favorite thing, which is isolative, sad drinking? And that's, uh, that's I would say, the my three top tools of... I go to, I go to AA, um, and the three top tools that I use are I go to meetings, I rely on higher power, and I call my sponsor. And I would say this is where my sponsor comes in um, because it's typically when I'm at the end of my rope and I'm like... I feel like a victim again. Right. So-and-so's done me wrong. The world is like, not fair. And I, I don't understand why I'm not allowed to say something about it. Right. And that's when, I, when I'm feeling like that. That's when I want to throw, you know. Or I want to, like, or when I'm sad about 
what my role in this world is and I don't get it. And that's instead now, instead of like throwing or having a tantrum, I've learned to call my sponsor. And I've had a couple sponsors, but both of them do the same thing because I, I will physically leave my house and go for a walk around the block and talk to them. And they do the same thing. They help me find my part. Yeah. And they help me, you know, see in a really kind and loving way that the world doesn't revolve around me. And that helps me so much. And I think the act of like having someone talk to me, I don't think I understood what, like, this is so cliche, but I don't know that I knew what love was until I had a sponsor. Okay. Because I mean, and I don't want to like, I don't want to discount my parents because I had good parents. But at the same time, I always felt like there was an exchange that was off. Okay. That there was something asked that I didn't, I couldn't give. Okay. You know, and with a sponsor, it is literally unconditional. That person has no reason to talk to me. You know, when I reach out for help and she picks up the phone, she's not getting anything out. I mean, she she is as she's staying sober, but really she has no reason to answer that phone except for that she's she's just helping me out of the goodness of her heart. I never thought of that, but that's a very good point. You know, what a loving thing to do. You know, and I feel loved every time, every time I get help from her. And so it, it really does, it helps me not feel alone. And, uh, you know, when I want to drink and be alone and feel like yeah. nobody, the world is shit and everything like that. And, yeah. and calling my sponsor gets me out of that. And it reminds me that someone loves me, that everything's okay, and that, you know, I'm not alone. So, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a very good point. I never thought of that uh, as far as the sponsor goes. They are great. Um, all right, I'm going to one last question, and then um, I'm going to turn you loose. How tolerant do people need to be with the newcomer? Mm. I guess, like on a scale of one to ten, like a hundred. Right. I mean, <laughs> because that the whole the the third tradition, the only requirement for AA is a desire to stop drinking. I know that kept kept me coming back um, for different reasons, not because I was showing up to meetings drunk. Yeah. But I, I kept coming back when I saw that because it meant that the program could never kick me out. And I'd been kicked out of a church before. Yeah. And so that kept me coming. I was like, I have a chair here no matter what. And it's a, a club that I belong to, even though it's a bunch of alcoholics. I mean so much to me. Yeah. And so a newcomer, which I remember being, you know, and I think all of us can remember being scared and defensive and standoffish for for such good reasons. You know, we are vulnerable. We are we've just had our life turned upside down, no matter what, how high or low our bottom is. Mm-hmm. Life just got real, you know, somehow. And we are in some strange church basement or Alano club or whatever with folding chairs and a coffee machine with strangers. And they're asking us to be honest. And that is not our default. Right. Our default is deny, 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 push down, push down, you know. And so it's, I'd say, you know, kid gloves, every newcomer, even, even drunk and defensive and weird and strange personalities and the ones that go on rants about politics or whatever yeah you know <laughs> outside issues the ones, the ones that make the meeting a circus it doesn't matter because when it boils down to it 
the meeting is not there just for me. Right. I am there for the meeting as much as the meeting is there for me. Kind of like right. the sponsor-sponsee relationship. It's all a circle. True. You know, the True. meeting wouldn't exist without me, but also I wouldn't exist without the meeting. Yeah. So it's what I bring as well as what I get from it. And so they are the most important person in the room because they remind me where I came from yeah. and how quickly I could go back there, you know. If I last night, my wife made me a salad with. She made a dressing with wine in it. Okay. And didn't realize that, like the wine hadn't been cooked, like the, the alcohol hadn't been cooked out or anything. Okay. And so before I put the the salad dressing on my salad, I was like, let me taste that and see if it's too alcoholic. And and I, I took a little spoonful of it and I was like, holy shit, that's just red wine. That's plain up red wine. <laughs> Yum. You know? <laughs> Yum. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I was like, no, thank you. Yeah. And I'm going to need to go drink some LaCroix. <laughs> like, get this out of my mouth and maybe call my sponsor. And it wasn't a big deal. But I was like, man, I could have been taken out by a fucking salad dressing <laughs> there. But for the grace of God, go I. I come back in a newcomer in a week. You know, because of salad dressing. Yeah, yeah. After I've thrown everything in my house and cried over a record, you know, and done everything I love to do. You know. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Okay. Um, so for right now, I just want you to talk. Just tell us your story. You can start from the womb or you can start from a week ago. Okay. Just let people know um, what you want us to know and how deep you want to get into it is up to you. Okay. Well, um, my name's Kristen, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Darice. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous one day, and it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't my bottom that brought me in. It was just a bad day. I was having okay. a bad day. I'll probably interrupt everyone's yeah, because you do. use terms yeah. that some people may not know. What what's what what do you mean by your bottom? Okay, it's uh so when I hear people talk about their bottom, it's like the worst thing that happened in their drinking or using. Okay. You know, it's like when life got at their worst or when you, you really burn shit to the ground. Can we swear on this? I should ask before I yep. swore a few times. Yep. Good to know. <laughs> We're all adults here. <laughs> Good to know. I always figured. Um, so this wasn't my, it wasn't my bottom. It's just a bad day. Um, I'd had worse scenarios than this. This was just, uh, I woke up one morning, and this was August 31st, 2016. I woke up like 6 a.m., um, I knew I had drank the day before, but I couldn't remember a lot. I had a blackout, which was pretty common for me. And I went downstairs to this living room, and it looked like we'd been robbed. Um, okay. Glass was broken on the floor. Uh, the coffee table had, was not where I left it. It had been thrown across the living room. Um, and I realized that I had done it. Okay. All of it. Um, and so I tried to sweep up the broken glass. I had a bad headache. I didn't feel good, so I sat on the couch. And... I was trying to figure out what I was going to go upstairs and tell my wife to make it all okay because I had a feeling she was going to be very upset because I couldn't remember what I had said, but I knew we had been fighting. Okay. And we had done this before, but probably I don't think to this extent. This was pretty bad. And so I was like, I was going to say, you know, I have, clearly I have a problem. I need to take some time off. You know, obviously I've got some emotional issues to deal with. Maybe, you know, maybe you should see a therapist. 
And then I was going to say this won't happen again. And then I just started bawling because just this practice conversation in my head made me realize I cannot say that to her because I cannot say that out loud. I can't say it to myself. Okay. This will totally happen again. And it hit me that day that I didn't know why I kept blacking out, why I kept throwing things, why I was, but I was completely, I had no control over my drinking and I didn't know what to do. And so I sat on the couch and uh, I was crying into my hands and I think I said help out loud to nothing, um, which now I know is like a, like a sign that I have uh, something watching over me. Okay. Because I got this idea in my head to go Google AA. And so I did. I went upstairs and I Googled AA. And I found, um, I found a meeting late enough in the afternoon to where I could talk myself out of it. Um, I found one in a, in a nice part of town. I wanted to go to Palos Verdes because I, wanted to, I didn't want to hear about poor people losing children. I wanted to hear about a rich person missing a boat payment. I just, I, and I actually, I actually found a rich, uh, uh, an old people meeting. I did okay. <laughs> one o'clock in the afternoon in Rolling Hills was the old people meeting. But anyway, I didn't know that at the time. And um, anyway, my wife got up, we talked, I told her I was going to go to AA and she didn't want me to. She said, I don't think you have a drinking problem. I think you need to see a therapist. I said, I think a therapist would tell me I have a drinking problem. But anyway, she left for work, and I had, I had decided to go to the, go to the meeting. Um, anyway, um, so I'll go back from there. Okay. Because that day, I thought about a lot of things. I, uh, I mentioned that I grew up in the church. Um, I was molested when I was a little kid. Um, I always felt different, um, I think, because of that. Um, but also maybe because I was gay. I just happened to be a gay kid. Um, but that all, like, like, I didn't know what that was because we didn't talk about it in church. Um, I'd heard the word homosexual before, but it always seemed like it was pointed at a guy. And in the 80s, it always seemed to have something to do with AIDS. So right. I really didn't know yeah. that girls could be gay. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant. And so when I went to high school and I met my first lesbian, which I didn't know what that word meant. Okay. Like I was really sheltered. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Worse than me, and I thought I, I was know, sheltered. I know, I <laughs> know. I was really sheltered, and so I met a lesbian. It was still my best friend to this day. And I was like, what do you mean she's a lesbian? And someone explained it. I was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. That explains <laughs> so much. Life makes sense. And so I was, like, thrilled. I was like, okay, well, that that, that figures that out, like, I just, I like girls. It's great. And I didn't know that there was going to be this main, this huge backlash from my church. I really didn't know that I was going to get in trouble. Okay. And so I kind of, kind of just walked into a, a hornet's nest of, of a, it was not a party when I came out. Um, Who did you tell first, your parents, or did you just go straight to like the church elders or no, no, what no, did you do? No, 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 no. I didn't, it's weird. I told a couple people at church camp and they they indicated that this was not good. And I was like, okay. uh-oh. So then I kind of hid it for a while. And then my parents just kind of, like, they found out a little bit. And then I had to come out to them. Okay. And then it was, like, everything went bad from there. Um, I was also 16 at the time. So I had to, I was trying to figure everything out. So I dropped out of high school. I moved in with a girl I was dating who was in her 20s. And I started drinking because I didn't know what... I didn't know what bad kids did, but I knew that I was a bad kid now. Okay. And so I was trying to figure out what do bad kids do? And so bad kids drank. And so I drank. And uh, the first time I drank, 
I drank alcoholically. I didn't have one or two beers. I had like 10. Um, the first time? Yeah. I drank until they were gone. Okay. Um, I never, I never, um, I never really threw up and I never really passed out. I would drink and just keep going. I would black out a lot, which, you know, my body would keep going. My brain would just kind of shut down and then a different brain would take over. And that brain was usually pretty articulate and a good tipper, you know, pretty friendly most of the time. And then just kind of sad. Okay. Um, and so that got me through my late teens. Um, I found pot, which really replaced drinking for a long time in my late teens, early 20s. Pot was great. Um, started doing stand-up. And that, like, gave me a new identity. Okay. Um, and then I went back in the closet. Um, I decided being out of the closet was too hard. Um, because I wanted, to, I wanted to be back with my family. I wanted people to like me again. So I went back in the closet, started doing stand-up, and that... I kept drinking, and then I went on the road in my 20s, and uh, that's that was my whole 20s. Okay. Um, I drank so much that all I remember about my 20s is that hotel room beds usually face a mirror, and I hated that, because <laughs> I always had to look at myself, and yeah. I just remember looking so old and tired all the time and dehydrated, and... Uh, <laughs> There was a point where I would I used to, I couldn't eat most of the time because I didn't I drank too much for my like my stomach was just awful and so I would drink in sure to get calories. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and I remember once I like uh, I met my wife when I was twenty five, and she was asking me about it. She was like, "Why are there? Why do you have insure in your kitchen?" <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, you know, you know when you like when you just like ah when like food makes you sick, so you." drinking sure so you can have nutrition she was like no I was like oh yeah okay Mm." so I thought I had irritable bowel I thought I was like I really did thought I had IBS for a long time because I just could not eat food but I was drinking somewhere between eight and like 13 drinks a day um and uh anyway so then she started noticing my blackouts, and that's what that's what led to the uh, realizing I can't, I have a problem. Because when it was just me, I didn't really notice there was a problem because you know I could self justify. Oh well, you know I don't I don't know what happened exactly, but today's a new day. You know, yeah. when she started saying you you know you're blacking out, you don't sound like yourself on the phone. It'd be like ah, well now I have to lie. Um, and then we moved in together and she'd be like, you cannot black out or we're not going to get married and things like that. I'm like, okay, well I'll just stop blacking out, you know, but I don't, I don't have a, I don't, oh, sorry. It's Lawndale. Pause for ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) They're not coming here. So we're good. (laughs) No, no, it's a good day. It's a good day. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. So, so I started trying to control and manage my drinking, um, by the two of us did. We were like beer only, like literally as a couple, we started doing the, uh, let's see what it is that's causing me to black out. So beer only for a while. Well, that didn't work. How about wine only? No. All right. I'm just going to, all right, I'm just going to smoke weed for a while. All right. No, just the vodka, vodka and sodas only. She thought that was hilarious. That's not going to work. It's like, nah, that's, just vodka. Just that's vodka. similar to what we read. That's what, that's what, <laughs> when I first came to my first meeting, they read chapter three and I was like. You gotta be fucking shitting me. Right. That's exactly what I've done. I've been doing this for two years. Like, 
And I mean, like, like, oh, like systems like, all right, every time you have a drink, then you drink a water. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, I, did I that. will. Of course, then I'd be like, and then I'll go take a shot and smoke some weed because you don't, you're not the boss of me, you know? <laughs> Because I'm an alcoholic. Like, every time I drink, it was like, how, how can I drink more yeah. than the person next to me? How can I? I just want to, I just, because I would go to, this, what frustrated me this whole time, since the beginning of my drinking career, is that even when no one was trying to manage me, I was. I would go to a comedy club, which is, this is my livelihood, and this is something I took very seriously. This is all I wanted to do was be a good comic. You know, this was, this is my life. But I would go in on a, if I'm doing Thursday through Saturday. I would go in on Thursday thinking, as long as I don't get drunk on Thursday, I won't be hungover on Friday, and my Friday and Saturday shows will go good. That's all I have to do. It's just like have two or three drinks on Thursday night. Yeah. That's just, just that small amount, two or three on Thursday, and I'll be okay. Yeah. Like, and, and pleading with myself, start late in the night. Just carry a drink up with you. That's all you have to do, and still be standing at the bar waiting for the first comic and blame it on them. They were on stage too long. Give me a drink. Yeah. And then have two drinks before I walked up stage and that fucked up everything. Now I have four. Now I have five. Now I got yeah. six drinks. Now I'm hungover on Friday. Well, I'm already hungover. Now I got to start drinking early. And this happened every single weekend that I lose the battle with my trying to control and manage. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I've got, in my mind, well, now I know. I've got, I've got a lot of talents mm-hmm. that I can do. I can do things, but I can't do that. Yeah. I cannot control or manage my drinking at all. And I didn't know that until I finally walked into AA and I heard them read that chapter three. Right. And I realized, oh my God, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, I'm not a failure and I'm not a fuck up and I'm not a piece of shit. Yeah. I'm an alcoholic. And when I first said that for the first time in that meeting, it gave me so much hope because all it meant was that I can stop trying now. You know, I... uh at 30 days sober, I went. I was at a meeting in Minnesota, and it was a, it was a men's meeting, but not a men's meeting. It was this place in St. Paul, and I, I just you know Googled AA, and I went to this meeting, and it was all guys. And I was like, oh shit, is this a men's stag? They're like, no, no, we just don't have women here. I was like, oh okay, great. <laughs> I heard this guy share, and he teared up, and I teared up because he shared about how he used to drink with his dad, and his dad finally told him, you can stop trying, to drink. You know, and I was like, that's how I felt when I came in. Like, I haven't had to relapse. I have not had to have another drink because it is a weight off my shoulder to not have to try to drink anymore. Because yeah. it was so hard to fail every day. So, um, I came in. Um, I loved what they had to say because they were talking to me. Um, I heard a man share that he had gotten five years the day that I came in. He's okay. taking a five-year chip because he took every suggestion they gave him. I love that he said the word suggestion because I could do that. Um, I don't like to be told what to do. If you tell me what to do, I will not do it. Right. I mean, to my own detriment. But if you suggest something, I, I may look into that. Um, and so I started taking suggestion. I kept going to meetings. Um, at uh, roughly 30 days sober, I was either going to start smoking weed or get a sponsor. Because I had Googled. Okay. Yeah, I had Googled, can you smoke weed and be an AA? I wanted to know. You know, I didn't know. If you don't know, you don't know. If you don't know, you don't know. And I didn't know anything about AA. I had no no preconceived notions about the program, which I'm so glad I didn't. Because a friend of mine, after I came in, was all like, oh, you're going to hate AA. It's super Jesus-y. 
I was like, oh my God, is it? I've been going for a while and it doesn't feel Jesus-y. Right. But if I would have talked to her a week before I went in, I wouldn't have gone. Yeah. Because I don't like Jesus-y shit. Yeah. But, and maybe it is, but it doesn't feel Jesus-y. So I'm going to keep doing this Jesus-y cult. Um, <laughs> Jesus-y cult? Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, I don't know. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I decided... Oh, yeah, what I read on the message boards about smoking weed in the program was uh, you can totally smoke weed if you lie to your sponsor. <laughs> and that didn't sound right. I was like, if I'm going to get a sponsor, I'm going to be really honest with them or I'm going to smoke weed. I was like, so I, was, I decided to jump in with both feet. I got a sponsor. Um, and she, uh, she was just a person physically sitting next to me. Um, <laughs> and... It's all the stuff that I never thought that I would choose in a sponsor. Like she had, she had done meth as part of her thing, and I had an ex girlfriend that had done meth, and I'd always said I'm never going to trust another meth head. And then she turned out to be this ex meth user from Alabama, and then um, she was kind of Jesusy, and we know how I feel about Jesusy things. <laughs> and uh, we've been meeting together for maybe a month or so when uh, my dad's a preacher for a specific Christian church that I have a lot of issues with. And I was like, oh, my dad's a church for this. And he goes, oh, wow, that's the church I go to. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I tried to fire her that day. I was like, I can't work with you if you remember that church. She was like, oh, that's funny. She was like, I'm not here to convert you. I'm just here to keep you sober. And the fact that she didn't really flinch at that, was like, all right, I guess maybe we can keep trying. <laughs> but she understood my issues with that church more than anybody else would have. She understood. Yeah. Like, nobody else would have gotten specifically what that church in my in my uh my religious trauma with them and she 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 helped me in such a kind and loving way that it it had helped me like forgive them forgive myself like all kinds of stuff that I really feel like she was placed there for for a specific reason um we worked the 12 steps together and now I sponsor people and I feel like that's more like with everything else that keeps me very sober um, because I travel a lot for work and uh, it keeps my phone ringing. Right. And I need my phone to ring, you know, because I call my sponsor, but my sponsor always, she reminds me that she goes, you need to, you need to call a friend this week. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I still think that I don't like people when I do, because when you say, what's my favorite thing about drinking? It's isolating. Yeah. I still think that I hate people and that I like being in a dark corner by myself being sad when I always love it when people come over. I love it when I get to talk to people. I love it when my sponsees call. Yeah. But in my brain, the happiest place is dark, alone, sad. Um, so I have it built into my program that I am almost incapable of being alone for too long. Okay. Because the phone will ring. Yeah. And I, uh, I have scheduled calls with my sponsor. And uh, I go to... Like five meetings a week, yeah. you know, I go to meetings on the road, I do my homework, I do everything that's suggested of me, and I have not had to drink or pick up a drug in three years, right. and um, I feel good. Um, I know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll end with this, I, the, the first year I was sober, I was so fixated on, oh, and I come out of the closet, too, I don't know, I would mentioned earlier that I went back in the closet, I yeah. came out of the closet right before I got sober, um, that was one of those things that just, I think the two kind of went hand in hand, but, um, 
when I the first year I came out of the club the, that I got sober the first year I got sober I uh I was I came in really really upset about my career um you know I used to sit on my couch and drink vodka and wonder why I wasn't famous you know and uh why am I not rich and famous and I'm just sitting here getting shit faced and so the first year I think I did the least amount of traveling and the least amount of shows I'd done in my whole career I just focused on sobriety okay. you know and so I didn't work very hard and um my money went up and my shows got better and um and I didn't understand that and I still don't because this program does not make sense at all no, no. it it doesn't no because I wasn't I wasn't focused on money I wasn't focused on fame or anything like that and things just got better year two still in my head I was like this is going to be the year this is going to be the year I get rich and famous that's the year I got sponsees okay year two mm-hmm and uh and so I worked with others more in year two than I did on my career, back in program. But I think I traveled a little bit more. And my money went up. And my career did get better. But it's not because I worked on my career. I was still working on my program. Yeah. Just because that's where life drew me. And so I'm, I'm, year three has come and gone, and I've done a little bit of both. But it's, I'm, I'm not really putting any expectations on what I want anymore. Because yeah. my, my sponsor is really help me understand I'm not self-employed anymore God is my employer my higher power or whatever it is right um is is uh, in charge because whenever I think I need something it's not it's not what I need you know whenever I think I need you know money and fame it's typically people that get placed in my life yeah and somehow my needs are met and so uh the less I try to fixate on on the outcomes and expectations, yeah. the better things go. And today I'm, I'm, I'm real happy, you know, we're content, you know? What are you uh, most grateful for in your sobriety now? Mm. Boy, there's a lot. I'm grateful today. Yeah, Boy. just give me a gratitude Boy, list. Boy, I could give you a big one. <laughs> Being able to sleep at night means a lot to me. Because I had I had insomnia for a long time, and um, so I was being able to sleep at night, um, being able to look myself in the eye in the mirror. Um, boy, I can't believe I'm saying this one. I'm grateful for people, like. <laughs> but those, we are grateful for you. Those people, I think I hate so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful to be to be surrounded by by people that love me and to. Uh, so we'll separate that with the one, two, three. To uh, grateful for the people, and I'm grateful that I am able to receive love yeah because that was very difficult before um i think self-acceptance should definitely go on the gratitude list to be able to uh to let go of the stuff that you know i'm not thrilled with about myself and just go that's just me you know it's a work in progress yeah um and i'm grateful that i got to clear away the wreckage of my past and walk walk forward yeah. with dignity. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I write a gratitude list almost every day with my... I have two female sponsees, and we, we share one um, almost every day when one of us remembers to. And, so it's, and it's not difficult at all yeah. to come up with ten things to be grateful for every ten. day. Ten. That is not... My sponsor has me do three, and I have a hard time coming up with three sometimes. Oh my God. <laughs> I could whip out ten any 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 time, because it, I just remember where I was three years ago, yeah. 
you know, and I didn't have any of these things. I didn't have self-respect. I didn't have self-worth. I didn't have mornings. I mean, I was a glassy-eyed, self-hating, isolative drunk. And just night and day where I am today. Yeah. Grateful. Well, I am very grateful. You're at the top of my gratitude list today. Ah, thanks, Therese. You're welcome, Kristen. (laughs) So, um... I'm not going to keep you too much longer. Um, how is your relationship with your parents now? My relationship with my parents got a lot better. Um, we're a lot more honest now. There was a lot of people pleasing before. Mm-hmm. And I think they didn't know I had a drinking problem. So that was a surprise to them. Um, but I told them about it when I was about 30 days sober. I told them I, had, I started working a program. And then I talked to him about it a lot, um, each step I was working on. I was really transparent about it. And then um, when I got to my ninth step, it meant a lot to get to make an amends to them. And even though you know, they, were the, they were the kind of parents, oh, you don't always an amends, you know, <laughs> I did. And it was nice to get to make it because these things aren't always for them, yeah. you know. And uh, I got to... I got to say I was wrong for this and that, and it was wrong of me. And because sometimes by making that amend, it's just a reminder to ourselves that I'm not that anymore. Yeah. You know, and to, to put those little bricks back in our dignity wall and walk a little taller when we leave. Yeah. And so when I see them now, I think we have more mutual respect for each other. You know, no more hiding, no more. You know, I don't I don't worry about the visits. I don't worry about what if they ask about this or that. It's like, no, I'm happy. I know where my life is now, you know, and I my I also have a sponsor that I take with me, you know, on the phone. So yeah. if anything goes weird with my parents, I I have a second brain that can help me because I'm not always I'm not always perfect with my mother or <laughs> you know I mean I don't think any of us I love her. dearly and she's one of my best friends but I still have I'm a I'm a spoiled rotten child inside that still has issues that pop up you know and I need a sponsor sometimes to just go really is that happening today or did that happen 20 years ago and that was 20 years ago and she's not doing that right now but I'm <laughs> mad at her from something she did in 1994 you know? <laughs> so it's nice to have a sponsor my relationship with my wife is it's like we're married to different people now okay yeah so that's that's crazy I've met your wife yeah. I've only met her once briefly but she seemed very very sweet yeah she's a lot shorter than I thought she's super because you're kind of tall I'm super tall and she's super <laughs> short so we're uh so <laughs> but I was always really scared of her when I was drunk so <laughs> Which she turned come to find out she was also very scared of me when I was drunk. That's because I was usually throwing things at her. Yeah, knives at TVs and stuff. I'd be scared too. Well, in my defense, I wasn't technically here. Right. Very <laughs> true. Somebody taken over my body, and they were angry. But uh, yeah, it's it's really nice to not worry about like when we're on a boat trip. She doesn't have to worry that I'm gonna fall off anymore. I'm like, that's nice. Like, I was probably never, a lot of stuff off of I her was mind never too. Never worried, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so at this point, right now, what do you have in your toolbox? 
Oh my God, I have such a full toolbox. My toolbox is brimming. Tell us what a toolbox is. Okay. So We're not talking about mechanical no, stuff here. No, so a toolbox, if anybody's new or just, just like, just joining recovery, a toolbox are the things that you reach for instead of a drug or a drink or uh, a sex or a gamble or a shopping. <laughs> it's, it's the good things that you reach for to keep yourself um, fit. You know, like, I guess the ism is that hole inside us that we're always trying to fill that can never be filled with people, places, and things. So the toolbox is the thing that we use to help that, that hole be full, you know? So my toolbox is filled with prayer and meditation. Okay. Those are huge for me. And meditation is not complicated, and I tried to overcomplicate it for a long time. I don't got to light candles. I don't got to play music. I just got to get quiet for a few minutes Yeah. and turn my brain off. And that is as simple as it gets. Prayer, I don't know what I'm praying to. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it's called. I don't know what it has between its legs. But I just got to talk to something that's bigger than me and turn my will over to it. Um, Meetings. Um, I go to meetings because it reminds me I'm not alone. There's a lot of people, and they were the 12 steps. That's another tool in my toolbox. The 12 steps, um, they, uh, whatever, they changed my life, saved my life. Uh, the way that I knew how to work those 12 steps is because I have a sponsor. That's another tool in my toolbox. Sponsor's great. Literature, recovery-related literature is fantastic. That can be, um, I read the grapevine when I'm on the okay. road because it's a great way to get a meeting when I can't get to a meeting or just to read some fantastic, it's like the stories in the back of the big book, which is the book Alcoholics Anonymous. In the back of it, there's these great stories of people. And every time I read them, I think, that was an idiot. They don't know nothing about me. And then four pages in, I'm like, he's telling my story. That's the grapevine. Um, and it's great. Um, what else? I use exercise as a tool. Um, friends. Stupid friends. Stupid friends. <laughs> it's the hardest one for me to admit that I have friends. Uh, picking up the phone, which is still hard for me. But, like, <clears throat> I call Jackie. She's my easiest phone a friend. And if you ask her, it's, it's like three times a quarter. But in my head, that's a lot. Yeah. You know? And, and it's just a talk. So call it like a phone a friend. Um, those, are all, those are all things I do. And naps. I use naps as a tool. Okay. I think they're good. So sponsees. Oh, and sponsees. Those are my great tools. Those are fantastic tools. Can't forget about my sponsees. <laughs> Working with others. When in doubt. Yes. Not just sponsees, but newcomers. Anytime, anytime I see somebody that's, uh, or hear someone share that they're struggling or that they're new and excited even, just talking to somebody um, after a meeting. Because I, I stay after the meeting for about 10 or 15 meeting, minutes okay. every morning just to kind of, because meetings aren't my social, that's not my social time. The meeting right. is just to soak in information. Yeah. But after the meeting, well, that's my time to... I want to get to know some people. Okay. Yeah. I need to work on that. Stick around. I need to work on that. Stick around. Get a few Sponsor laps. suggested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah get Just this week, actually. I'm always talking to somebody. So say something to the newcomer and say something to the person who thinks that they're alone. Okay. Well, to the newcomer, I would say it gets better because I've been there. Um... And I know, I know other people that have been there, but I can only speak for myself. It gets better, and it's it's uh, 
it's uncomfortable um, at first and coming into a recovery program in the first place is one of the bravest things that a person can do in their entire life taking that step Um, so having feelings come back uh, all at once is very very uncomfortable yes it is and learning to walk through uncomfortability is a challenge and that's why there are tools in a toolbox and so I would say be patient and use your tools and that it gets better you know that uh, I heard someone once say that when you're walking through a dark tunnel in the middle of the tunnel it's the darkest and you're always tempted to turn around because that's the last place you saw light but oh, if you wow. just keep walking forward it'll be better that's good. I've yeah. never heard that. Well, I heard someone say that. That's why I said That's good. And I also heard someone say, uh, you only coast downhill. So just keep trudging. It yeah. gets better. Okay. Yeah. You always know what's behind you. But you don't know yeah. what's ahead of you. So just keep going. Good word. Thanks. Good word. All right. So, I think we're done. All right. Thank you. So oh, very much, anytime. so very much for this interview this and this time. It's changed my life. It's saved it my is life. a life changing program. I've been in jail a few times, a hospital before. We didn't, I didn't even talk about that, but yeah. but yeah, this program saved my life. And any anything I can do to give back, any day. I know they say, let us love you until you can learn to love yourself. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. We're all a work in progress. Yeah. Um, I love you. And I know many people who do love you so much. Stupid friend. Stupid friend, (laughs) person friend. So thank you again for the podcast interview. And anyone listening, this is the end of Kristen's interview. Um, You can email me any questions or critiques at breaking underscore chains at iCloud.com. And if you're looking for an editor, my editor is awesome. Just email me and I'll give you Neil's information. Great person. Have a nice night. Bye. Peace out.